Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Joshua Starr, owner of Grand Trunk Games, a publishing company dedicated to making 18xx games available, affordable, and approachable. His current reprint of the classic game, Shikoku 1889, is currently on Kickstarter. Josh, welcome to The Binge. How you doing? Doing all right. How you doing? That intro is fantastic. <laughs> you, got, you got it down, man. Uh, I'm, well, I'm doing you do well. it 140 some odd times, you eventually uh, just rolls off the tongue, right? <laughs> well, so we were, talk- we were talking before the show and we were just yeah. having a casual conversation and you just, you turn in, you turn into the, uh, you turn into the host. I love it. I love it. <laughs> you just throw the host voice on just like that, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and I would be remiss to mention that I know I say uh, it's reprint uh, Shikoku, but you actually changed the name to Shikoku is really just originally 1889, right? So yeah, well, it was, so 1889, so um, is part of the 18xx genre and all these 18xx games that got that genre name because there are all these, all the names of the games are significant years of railroading history mm. for various regions. So 1830 is when railroading started in the US, 1846 is when uh, railroads started kind of going from the East Coast over to Chicago, um other other regions like that 1889 this is when railroading or was at least a very significant year in railroading history uh on the island of shikoku in japan and so it was 1889 was the name uh and then basically history of shikoku railways was the subtitle and i kind of went and flipped it and i said shikoku 1889 uh, some people weren't too happy about that some people still aren't very happy about that but the, the name is is indeed going to be shikoku 1889 it was a thing that nobody likes change but a wet baby I guess is the uh, <laughs> the classic saying, right? So, so eighteen yeah. xxs, and I'll be guilty to be the admit this is I hadn't really known the genre. I've played, I believe, eighteen xx type games in the past, but I didn't really see it as a genre, right? Until I was doing the research on on you and uh, getting ready for this podcast. Can you explain to people what eighteen xx is in general? Like, what is that as a genre? Is it just railroad games, or can it be other things? So. Yeah, no, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, 18x, so technically, there are some people listening who might catch me with a, this little small, small issue. But basically, 1830 was the original 18xx game. Technically, it's 1829, which came out in the in the 70s. 1830 was the first uh, officially like printed game that came out uh, from Avalon Hill. Mm-hmm. And so this was a game. So Francis Tresham, who was original designer really really renowned designer he was the one who came up with actually with civilization so civilization advanced civilization all that genre that's all comes from the same designer actually as 18xx so really interesting designer but he kind of found this uh space design space to play in that actually had so much potential that everybody took that same game system and started taking the game system of 1830 that originally came out in 86 and started applying it into all these other games. And so they started saying, okay, well, what if I take 1830, I put it in this region, I tweak these different rules. And so it started off as just kind of implementing that same game system in a different title. And it spurned into this genre of having all these different games, literally hundreds of games using the same template or foundational rule set and tweaking different things. So 18xx games are very specific game system so a couple of things to look out for what is defining of 18xx is the map 
So there's certain kinds of rules about the way that the track can be built and how you can uh, basically develop the map. Um, there's generally a shared ownership of a company. So if you are operating a company, typically you're not going to have full ownership over that company. Maybe you own 60%, I own 30% of it, and there's 10% of it. And all those are tracked uh, with different share, stock certificate shares of the companies. And all the, the value of those shares are actually tracked on the stock market. And the third probably hallmark feature of an 18xx game are the trains. So it has technology that as it moves forward, there is a mechanism in the game called rusting. And it's basically as the technology moves forward, it kind of signals the progress of technology in the game. And so a later train is going to rust an older train. And so what that mm -hmm. means is that it turns obsolete, aka the train's just useless and it's thrown out from the game. So a lot of times when you're playing other board games, you get this piece of piece of technology, you keep building on it, you keep, um, you know, you develop your whole engine. In this game, in 18xx style games, your engine can fall out from underneath you because somebody can rush your trains. You can't run trains anymore, kind of thing. And so that's cool. that's a very core mechanism of 18xx. And those that's probably I would say that almost every 18xx 18xx game is going to have those three features. How did you get into 18xx games in the first place? Like this must have started somewhere. Was it when you were a kid? Did somebody introduce you to a game, or like where did this start? It's a good question. Um, I had heard about 18. So I enjoy I enjoy generally heavy games or very light games, like kind of not so much in the middle mm -hmm. these days. But for a long time, I kind of kept going deeper and deeper into the the deep end of of gaming. And I'd always had heard about 18xx for many years. And I always had this concept of 18xx where it's a 12-hour game. You're going to go to some dark den. Everybody has calculators, and it's going to be this kind of really. I I always just had this kind of experience thought that it's not going to be a fun experience to go into that. Yeah. And so I actually avoided 18xx for years um, because of that, because of that uh, stigma that I had. And so eventually, I got around to trying it, um, and I realized that 18xx really is it's not the reputation had me all wrong about what it was like to actually play Teen XX. Most of the games that I play are, are a few hours. They're a lot easier to play than a lot, a lot of people would let on. And so that's kind of, that's kind of what drew me to it is that one, I had the stigma about it and then I kind of jumped into it because I realized it was, uh, it's just a very, very interesting decision space for board games for me. And that's kind of why I, I, I dived into it, I guess I would say, sorry, long answer there. No, that's good. Is this like, uh, like, is this your day job now, or is this like a side hustle, or like, what were you doing was, before you were getting to eighteen XXs? Yeah, so I was, um, I, I work actually for a software company, hmm. um, and so I, I was basically, I actually left and started doing that full time for a little while, and then once I was actually, basically, because I wanted to pursue starting a publishing company, once I actually had the company going, part of me actually realized that oh. I only really, really want to do one, one to two, like one game every year or two or so, because I want to take take a lot of time to invest and in, and make the game everything I want it to be. Yeah. And so it's just kind of hard to justify being full time on it. Also, I had a kid on the way, so I was like, okay, I probably Congrats. have a little bit more stable income. So I, I'm a I'm a I'm a basically a manager at a software company without getting into too much detail yeah. of, of and this, what so this is like basically your, your side job, which is the case for a lot of people in the industry. A lot of the, the developers and publishers out there have day jobs and this is their evening and weekends, right? Exactly. And it's kind of their escape. It's their fun. It's their hobby. Some call it a jobby. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and if, if it can generate revenue and more importantly, put games that you've 
had your hand in on in the hands of other people and other people's tables i think that's kind of where the reward is for a lot of people in this industry which is uh, a pretty awesome feeling right yeah i mean it's it's uh i've it's fun to be able to when i got into it so without going into the full story i basically had that experience that i described with 18xx where i was had this really bad stigma about it uh before and then once i tried it i actually realized i really enjoyed it and i thought to myself how many more people have that experience where they had heard of 18xx they had a, a bad concept about it they thought it was too long or that they it, 18xx was too difficult or challenging for them to play and that's kind of was my goal with starting grand trunk is i wanted to show people that actually it's not it's, it doesn't really have, it's, um, it doesn't deserve that reputation or has had that reputation for many years, but it's not what it seems, right? Yeah. And so that was my goal with starting Grand Trunk is make it available, affordable, approachable. Um, and so, yeah, it's been really, really fun in terms of being able to see, like, I didn't think that, I, I, I would not have believed you if you told me a couple of years ago that I'd be running this Kickstarter and it's like, you know, on the, I don't know if it's going to go, how much higher it's going to go, but I'm like have a few days left in the campaign. I'm already close to 170, $170,000 here. Yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't have believed you if you told me that a few years ago when 18xx games were only made by hand, uh, like by print and play by hand. Yeah. And so, this isn't the first, like you, you've done another Kickstarter. So this is your second one, right? The first one was 1861 correct, yeah. Russia, 1867 Canada, uh, Railways of the Russian Empire, Railways of, of Canada. That one funded in Canadian dollars anyways, about $130,000. So probably close to $100,000 US. And um, and it, it funded quite well. I'm sharing on the screen here for people that uh, are uh, watching live or on the replay. But I mean, that was kind of your first, and kudos on how you did the box, by the way. So you have people <laughs> listening. The box has basically Russia on one side. And when you flip it over, all of a sudden now the face of the box is, is, is the Canadian uh, uh, box. So it's basically two boxes in one. So I guess at a retailer could technically have the same game beside itself, just flip the other way and look like two different games. That game utilized uh, a lot of similar components, which is, uh, I think, the reason why you guys did it that way. Is that is that the case? or? Yeah, so 61 and 67 are, I would call them sibling games. So some, mm. uh, 67 is kind of, it's a semi-expansion to 61. So 1861 was the original, uh, I'm trying to not use too much jargon here. It was okay. it was a very famous game from 2005. And so uh, the designer kind of did a streamlined version of it uh, about 10 years later. And so it used, used almost all the same components but it really was its own standalone game and its own version of it. So part of part of why I did the box that way is because I thought every component really, you know, all the components will really match. So I wanted to do everything double-sided in the game. So one side 61, one side 67. And basically I wanted to that kind of um, design philosophy to carry through for everything. So it's the board, the market, the stock market tokens, um, the uh, charters, and and also the box, right? So that was kind of that was kind of my approach to it. I think that looking back, it was such a big project to do as my my first thing to just try to cram everything. So the box itself ended up being 110 millimeters tall. So if you like, uh, let me if I show you. So how many components? How many pieces did it have in it? Oh, uh, I I couldn't even I couldn't even tell you, but uh, let's turn off the blur. So 
Well, actually, let me let me it's get a, a point of comparison. What, what would be a good point of comparison? We could do say ticket to ride. So for people listening, is it roughly the same size as ticket to ride? A little bit bigger. Quite a bit bigger. Here's, 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 a, here's a game a lot of people will have. So yeah, Azul. Just Azul, Azul. A lot of people will have. So I'll just show you what this looks like. So. So if you think about the size of the Azul box, yep, and this thing just ended up being such a chonker. Oh, um, thickness, yeah, it's like two and a half times yeah, it thicker just, than an Azul box. That's crazy. Part of, I mean, I didn't want it to. I didn't want it to be this thick. At the end of the day, uh, but we were trying to cram so much stuff in the box, and we we were trying to over, do the thing that brass did, where they overstepped it when they shipped it, and then we just kept having to raise the height of the box over and over and over again. To the point that it's a 110 millimeters tall. But so, anyways, I say all that because it was just such a it was such a big project for my first one. I didn't think that how much work it would be, but it was a, it ended up being a lot of work. And I don't know if I would recommend stuffing two games in one box in the future. <laughs> yeah, that's good. But the output was pretty cool. Um, thank you. So thank you. Chikoku, um, this is your current Kickstarter in Canadian dollars. You're at uh, two hundred sixteen thousand dollars. 3,291 backers. You got three days to go. Uh, you're entering the, the reverse hockey stick, right? So everybody knows, this is the podcast, last three days, you hockey stick up. Typically you'll do in your last three days, 50% what you did in your first two days. And um, so you're, you're obviously going to do a lot more than you are right now. Um, can you walk us through this game? So um First of all, uh, and we'll get into the story of, of the licensing, I think, after. I want to talk about the game first, but then I'll get into the actual mm. licensing because I know there's a really cool story there. Talk to us about the game itself. So what's how does this game play? What's the essence of it? I think it's – so I actually, I actually wrote a pretty long blog about this uh, because I think it's really interesting. I think 89 is a really, really interesting game as far as the 18xx genre goes because it has – had a reputation for many, many years, you know, almost going on two, two decades of being um, the best introductory game. It's the best game to learn 18xx on. And it's had that reputation for a long time. And so I've been playing the game for, so let me, and just and part of why that is, is that um, it, it is a very distilled version of, it's uh, has the core rule set of 1830, but it's uh, 1830 on a map of Shikoku, Japan, uh, some of the math is a little bit more streamlined. So 1830 has like some really particular math where you have like these weird dollar values of how things break out. Shikoku, everything is a multiple of five. Um, the private companies have more interesting powers. I won't get into like what a private company is and all that stuff, but there's more interesting like powers and stuff that you can do there. And so I always, I always just, and then also the game plays well at three or four players and it plays really quickly. I, I can usually, I'll usually knock out a game of this Granted, with experienced players, I'll usually knock out a game in like two, 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 three hours. I've, I've played it in 90 minutes, though. Before. That's not bad. Yeah. So it's, 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 as far as 18xx games go, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty quick. Um, but I think part of what makes the game unique to me is that I actually think that just because it has a reputation for being a beginner game, I think it actually goes quite deep. Um, it was around, I was around 20 plays into the, into the game and I'd always treat it as a beginner title. And around my 20th play, I kind of, I started to see the light of what, what was actually ha happening behind the scenes with the game. And I'm not going to like go super deep into that because it's kind of a lot of it is just, you have to play a good about fair bit of HNXX to see what, what I mean by that. But I just, I'll, I'll leave it at that and say that the gameplay is far deeper than most, than most people would expect it to be 
because a lot of people just assume it's it's a beginner game. And then you've unlocked a lot of stretch goals. Um, so did this take you a little bit by surprise, the success? Like how quickly this uh, this funded and then grew to the size <laughs> yeah. it has? Well, yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm adding stretch goal. Like, you know, so I have, I've had stretch goals in mind. Um, I was really, you know, so with all these things, you never know, like some, yeah. I changed the name. Maybe everybody just said like, we're done with Josh. Like, it's, <laughs> you know, we're, we're not backing his game anymore. So I was, I was prepared for that scenario. And I was like, um, I wasn't sure. Um, before when it was kind of hitting that, um, basically starting to hit 150, I was kind of, I had ideas of things I would do, but then I didn't really know. I didn't, I wasn't anticipating to get there so soon and have to think about those things. And so I've been trying to talk to my manufacturer, my graphic designer, my illustrator of like, okay, well, can we do this thing? And like, is this okay for me to do it? So when I'm like, right now, if you look at the campaign page, I have like one stretch goal there. It's like, that's because that's as far as I haven't figured out so far. And I'm working to figure out, okay, well, what's the next thing? But um, anyways, yeah, uh, I've, I'm, I'm very floored by this. I, I feel like it's been, it's been a very exciting. It's, I was hoping, you know, obviously you hope that, hey, it's going to do so what you know this well or something like that but i was kind of i've been every day i'm expecting it to like drop you know the the daily the daily to drop the daily backers to drop and it still hasn't so or or not not to or it's dropped a little bit but not to as much as i would have expected so anyways it's been fun it's been a fun fun few weeks here Really, the components uh, seem like you've really invested in getting the right components for the game, high quality components, um, stretch goals. I mean, there's so many stretch goals that are unlocked here. And it's clear when you see this number of stretch goals is typically when someone's success <laughs> goes way beyond what they expected. It's like, okay, what else can I throw? What else can we do? Okay, let's, let's figure out what else we can add in. So there's everything but the kitchen sink in here, which is really cool in terms of stretch goals, organization trays, and all this kind of stuff, which I think is just fantastic. The artwork itself, and I want to comment on that because the artwork is really nice. Um, what, how much uh, process did you put into the reskin of this, right? Because there would have been original artwork, I guess, with the original game. And I, I believe you guys have redone everything, right? Yeah, every every yeah. everything from the ground up. Yep. Yeah, so and even so, the box um, artwork and everything, right? Yeah. So I mean, well, because the thing, I so I actually also have like not to like keep bring up bring up my blog. Have you read my blog? No, uh, not not to keep bring up <laughs> bring up the blog, but that was a really big part of this process. Is because a a few years ago, um, so so bringing it back a little bit. So 18xx, I started the company. I was basically trying to figure out, okay, well, how do I, you know what, like, how do I make 18xx available, affordable and approachable? And so the thing that I, I was looking at, okay, well, what are the barriers to entry? So there's art, there's price, there's all these different barriers to it. And I think the, a lot of what I've been doing is experimenting with, okay, is there a way that you can do 18xx that challenges what's currently been done, but doesn't throw out all the old conventions? Like we take what's good, we try to go do better than what, than what it currently used to be, right? And so uh, in terms of the, uh, the art, it has been a very challenging process and very time consuming to try to find, toe the line of like, where do you, and so some context here. So in terms of 18, playing 18XX games, there's a lot of information on the board. And so you really need to protect 
the usability of the components above all else. And so a lot of 18xx players, they'll they've rejected any attempts to make the to improve the aesthetics because it, it tampers with the functionality. And so part of what I'm doing is I'm trying to say, okay, where can I can I reduce, you know, not reduce usability, but like instead of being looking like a you know very distilled prototype, can I just add a little bit in here and basically raise the aesthetics by, you know, an, an order of magnitude to improve the aesthetics while just do, taking a really, really subtle hit on usability. And so that's that's kind of that's this tightrope walk we've been we've been trying and we we tried it with the last game, I think that we're trying to push it further. And who knows, for the next game, maybe we push it even further than that. And speaking of blogs, um, there's a blog that you have where you talk uh, to the original uh, creator of, of 1889. Uh, it's a very interesting story. Can you talk a little bit about this? this is all in your pursuit of getting the licensing rights, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I just, I just, I just messaged, like, this is kind of, when I was starting the company, I was just messaging a lot of designers and asking, hey, would you be interested in, in taking a chance on me? And so uh, Yasutaka Akeda, Akeda-san, I had been messaging him uh, month after month. And so it was, it was uh, I was messaging him and, and he, I could see that he, would see, he was seeing my messages and then he just wasn't responding. And so I was just kind of like, you know, it, it was fine. It was all good. And yeah. I was just like, I, I would see that he saw it and I would think, okay, well, I'll just try again next month. And so this went by for about eight months. And so my wife and I, we were actually traveling to Japan because we just got, we just happened to get cheap tickets to, for uh, the cherry blossoms. He's in, in Japan. And I was like, I just messaged him and said, I can't like go, I can't fathom the thought of I'm going to, I'm going to be in the same city as you. And I don't even get a chance to like buy you dinner or something like that. I, like forget about the game or any of that. I'll just, I just want to take you out to dinner. And so Eventually, so then I guess that got his attention. He responded. We got uh, we got a dinner together, and luckily, my one of my old classmates happened to be traveling through the same area, and he's fluent in, in both Japanese and English. So then he was there to be um, a tra translator for us. And yeah, it was it was a great evening. Uh, we from then we were starting to talk, and we talked for a few months, and eventually the game was signed, and here we are today. Yeah, there was something in there about. Like you had thought that I guess D thought games had the rights to it. They thought he had the rights. He thought they still had the rights. Like what was going on with that? Well, so so Deep Thought, Deep Thought, um Deep Thought kept 18xx alive for many, many years. So um Deep Thought Games is is they do they did all the uh handmade games. So 18xx for many years only had the demand for hundreds of units, not thousands of units. So they couldn't yeah. really get the they didn't have the scale to do a real print run. There were some print runs in the 90s uh, from May, Mayfair, Avalon Hill, the, the print run of uh, 1830 back in the 80s, but these were all handmade games. So Deep Thought, their model, they didn't really get the license to the game necessarily. Um, they were mo more, um, they did all the graphic design and the production for it. And so anyways, Ikeda-san, he was under the impression that, oh, well, all the rights are locked up. And then Deep Thought was saying, no, actually, you, you still have the rights to the game. We, were, we just did the graphic design for it. And so that's kind of, it was more of like, um, it was nice to be part of that because it was actually really just miscommunication and misunderstanding mm -hmm. uh, between both parties. And so I don't think I did anything really special, but I just kind of rekindled, rekindled that conversation and we, we basically got, got it sorted out. Um, but anyways, I'm, I was, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I think the learning there is, is that sometimes these things are like a spider web 
of, uh, of a mess, right? I've got another buddy that he, uh, he does reprints of old games. And he said, like, just trying to find out who <laughs> has to write sometimes these, especially in these older legacy games, uh, it, it's, it's quite a, uh, a scavenger hunt, right? The, to get to the right people and yeah. talking to them. And then even when you find the right people, they're not quite always sure, you know, okay, do I have the rights or not? Or I think I signed it with someone else. And so, you know, just sticking with it and kind of following the breadcrumbs and getting to the right person, I think is uh, pretty commendable. Obviously worked out here because you got the uh, the you got the rights to the game and uh, you've had a pretty uh, pretty amazing Kickstarter uh, launch. Um, where um, like when I look at eighteen XX games, obviously there's only so many reprints that can be done. Is there any thoughts you've put behind like? And I'm thinking like a few years down the road, eventually creating your own version, like from scratch, like creating your own eighteen XX game. I think. So personally, I mean, I, every, everybody who's like works in board games, they've like dabbled in their own design. Um, I think I think I have a good sense of what makes a game interesting and in game fun. I think that for me to put my go through the revs and actually develop, design my own game, I don't know if I would subject anybody to play testing my games. <laughs> so one day I might try my hand at design again. I think it's been interesting enough for for me to tackle the the usability and the publishing angle and try to flip around the way that the, the games are the like the business model of 18xx publishing. Um, one day, probably not so soon. At least for a design from me. A lot of work, right? So if it's already a lot of work to reskin oh, yeah. and reprint a game, imagine layering on top of that now the actual design. Uh, side of the game but as a yeah. genre it sounds like there's probably some room to add in some more titles there as a, as a genre which would be kind of cool um, yeah i think so oh yeah go ahead sorry no, i was gonna say with your campaign so two hundred thousand is a lot of money and uh you know and, and congratulations again on the success i think that's thank you, thank it's, you, it's fantastic for those out there looking to start their own campaigns, um, what what would you suggest? Like, what kind of have you done any marketing to get to this point? It's been more building uh, the following. Has it been tapping into the community? What path have you kind of taken to get the word out before you launch your Kickstarter on this? Hmm. Well, so it's interesting because I was I was um, I'm good I'm good friends with Clay Ross from Capstone Games, and I was I was bragging to, bragging to him at the beginning, not bragging, but uh, when we were launching this, I was launching this campaign. I was saying I've spent zero dollars on on advertising, um, and then of course, then uh, one of my friends reached out and said, "Like you should do Facebook ads. I'll show you how to set it up." I was like, "Okay, I'll sure." So I have spent dollars on advertising now. Yeah, I think it's more. Um, so I, obviously, I did the blog, um, and I think that part of the blog. I don't think any. I don't think what I have to say is all that particularly interesting, but I think what really really helps is that i like everything i'm doing is is centered around how do i how do i make the product better um and that's virtually every all the time and all the hours i spend and, and a lot of people will disagree with the decisions that i make and a lot of people vehemently disagree with the decisions that i make um but i think all everything is really around how do i make it so the product really is is as good as it can be um and so I know that's a really generic answer. Um, and that's kind of, that doesn't really say like, give somebody a direction like, okay, now I'm going to go do this. But I really focus on like, it's it's a good game. 
I gave it the best art I possibly could. I gave it the best price I possibly could. I'm basically, I'm trying to put fit as much stuff into the box as I possibly can because, you know, I want to honor, for me, it's a, it's a classic game and I don't, like, who am I? And so I'm trying to basically do my best to honor the legacy of the game and, and basically make it as good as I, as I can because this is my shot at doing it. Yeah. And so I think that, like, you know, I think that for... And like even even on the campaign page, you'll notice I don't really even have like reviews. I don't have any of that stuff. I just want my thought is let the game speak for itself. The game the game yeah. is 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 a strong. It's a good game. The art's there. The price is there. Let the game speak for itself. And that's kind of always what I feel is the driving force. And I think that's I would hope that that has. It seems that that has resonated with with people. What's next for you? What are, what is, is there another game coming down the shipping. pipe? <laughs> shipping. <laughs> shipping. Um right now, I mean, my main focus right now is like I just want like because a lot of people so one one thing I goofed on was I right as I finished the Kickstarter for 6167, I announced uh that the next game's coming and what, what it was gonna be. And that was I would not have believed if I, if I told you it was two years, you know, two years later is when the Kickstarter is coming. It's like, uh, it's a really long time to wait. Um, I think my my biggest thing is I want to spend all, all my energy making sure that this game is as top-notch as possible and getting yeah. shipped as quickly as possible. And I, I spent a long time trying to make sure that um, I didn't make the same mistakes as my first campaign of like make, making a lot of promises and not, I, I feel like I, I missed some promises in terms of like the rule book and other, yeah. other things like that. So that's, again, I guess what's next is, yeah, shipping and just making sure that this game is absolutely stellar when it gets gets to people's hands. This global container uh, problem <laughs> yeah. has just been for every publisher. Uh, so many publishers who have impeccable track records have unfortunately had to miss timelines, right? It's unprecedented. Um, yeah. You know, myself, I've been impacted by it. And, uh, you know, it sometimes I don't think people realize how much publishers actually do care. Like they care very deeply about their creation. They want their creation in the hands of the people to help get it mm-hmm. there as fast as they can uh, and in, in good quality. And, um, you know, sometimes things can happen on a global scale that are completely out of your control and there's zero you can do about it. Right. So if you're, if your game is on a yeah. boat, <laughs> and it's scheduled to arrive at a dock by such and such a date. And when it gets to that dock, there's like now a four-week backlog of other ships is waiting for in the lineup. There's nothing you can do but wait. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it can be frustrating, but I can certainly appreciate your desire to wind to get kind of the shipping everything nailed on this, get this game out the door before you start kind of working on the next thing. At least so because I my, my last campaign was it was delayed and all had uh, like I was probably like nine months late or something that I originally said it would be. And so at least, at least with that, I'm starting with really, really low bar of expectations. So then hopefully, I mean, I really hope I'm not nine months late on this. I spent a lot of time trying to make sure that I would not be, Um, but the bar is really low for me. So hopefully I can uh, under promise and over over deliver something like that. And how do people find your blog? I, I was I found it when I googled it, and I was and this is where I read about the uh, the licensing and and even the artwork. And I think people who like to look under the hood on the process, regardless of whether you agree or disagree with decisions, what I really like about your blog is you you walk people through the thought process, 
right? Of why you made the decisions. And that to me is more important than the actual decision itself, right? I just love mm. to see kind of how people think and what is their process and how they get to the conclusions that they make. So if people geek out over that, like I do, they should check out your blog. How do they find your blog? I think if you just Google Grand Trunk Games, it's like the my website is just like the skeleton website. It's just like a splash page in the blog. It'll yep. have more stuff eventually. If you just go to my website or if you just Google Grand Trunk Games blog, they'll, they'll be able to find it. Your website it's is grandtrunkgames.com? Yeah, exactly. All one Perfect. word, .com. Yep. Awesome. Josh, it has been awesome having you on the podcast. I learned so much about 18xx, uh, more so than I knew about uh, 30 minutes ago. So I want to thank you for that. I want to wish you all the best on this campaign. I can't wait to see how this thing turns out. You guys are doing really, really well already. And I'm sure it's just all gravy here from now on for you. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. You take care. Cheers. Take care. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time. 